Hello, I'm Banning Air, and you're listening to Season 7 of the Afropop Close-Up Podcast, where we go beyond the music into politics, religion, history, and culture. In this episode, producer Nathaniel Braddock explores how the tradition of Afro-Colombian marimba music became central to both cultural and political movements on the Colombian Pacific coast in the late 20th century. Braddock is a musician specializing in African guitar styles, and he's also currently working on a PhD in ethnomusicology at Boston University. Here he is with Agua y Luz, music of Tumaco and the Afro-Colombian Pacific. The country of Colombia sits atop the South American continent, sharing borders with the nations of Panama to the north, Venezuela to the east, and Ecuador, Peru, and Brazil to the south and southeast. The country spans rainforests, the high Andes mountains, and rich coastlines of both the Pacific Ocean and the Caribbean. By the end of the 1490s, Spanish sailors had begun exploring the land that they would call Nueva Granada. Like much of the Caribbean and South America, these lands became absorbed into European colonial projects and would become the home for countless Africans who had been forced into the transatlantic slave trade. Because of its geological formation, with the northern spread of the Andes breaking into three ridges, regional communities both preserved and created cultural practices that were distinct. Populations of indigenous Amerindians, European settlers, and Africans did interact, but there was little communication between the common folk of the Caribbean coast and that of the distant Pacific region. I spoke with my friend, Michael Bitterbaum Quintero, about the role of race and music in the country, specifically in the Afro-Colombian music of the Pacific Coast. Bitterbaum Quintero is the chair of musicology and ethnomusicology at Boston University. His book on Colombian music, Rights, Rights, and Rhythms, that's rights like religious rights and rights like political rights, won the Distinguished 2020 Ruth Stone Prize. Its subtitle, A Genealogy of Musical Meaning in Colombia's Black Pacific, presents several cases for the work that traditional music has done and is still doing in the country today. I asked him to tell me how he first became involved with the music of the Afro-Colombian Pacific. I'm Michael Birenbaum Quintero. I first became an ethnomusicologist and started working with and thinking about Colombian music because as a, a Colombian American, there's a lot that I that I didn't know growing up here in the in the States. And I became very interested in Afro-Colombian music once I found out that there was this very important political movement of Black Colombians, in which this music was related. There were ways in which people were talking about themselves and talking about their situation, talking about their ancestors in ways that were really interesting in a political sense, given that the Afro-Colombian political movement is one of the most important Black movements in the hemisphere. They won from the Colombian government collective land rights, for example, which is really quite unusual, especially if we compare it with the United States. And also, the music itself is really interesting. It's really compelling. Marimba music sounds different from other types of music from the Western Hemisphere. It doesn't sound like other types of Black music from the Western Hemisphere. My research is more on the music of the southern part of the Pacific Coast. This music is usually called kurulao. The main instrument is marimba, a large marimba made out of chonta wood, this palm tree that grows in the Pacific, along with hand percussion. And very, very importantly, you have the voices of women singing in harmony behind this. For today's conversation, I wanted to talk to two musicians, a father and son from the Pacific Coast city of Tumaco, 
Their story expresses the cross-generational development of Afro-Colombian music and the relationship of this music with the social and political ambitions of Afro-Colombians. Their stories really illustrate what was at stake in preservation of this music and how it remains so immediate and so vital today. Francisco Tenorio was part of a generation of young black Tumaqueños who, confronted with the social realities of that city, decided that traditional culture was going to be a way to improve their community and to reclaim their own sense of themselves. This generation would be responsible for some of the major developments in black history in Colombia, from the political to the social to the cultural. This generation was responsible for the foundation of the first festival of Pacific music, a kind of music which was totally unknown in Colombia in the 1970s and 1980s. Today, the largest festival in Colombia is the Festival of the Music of the Pacific, the same music that was unknown. Bueno, antes nosotros era un pueblo, era una playa de pescadores. Well, back then it was a village. A fisherman's beach. There were no roads, nothing was paid, dirt streets, there was no sewer, no septic tank, nothing, nothing. Our septic tank was the sea. That's how we lived. We cooked with wood or charcoal if we were lucky. We used light from oil lamps, sometimes candles. We had a lot of factories, though. Lumber mill, fish, tuna, and sardine processing. There were fishing boats there, and we also had a rubber factory. We had four important products, wood, ivory, nut, rubber, and fish. That's how Tumaco was. When I was a kid, you could see class differences in the older people. The people that gave orders were the rich, and the ones who obeyed were the poor. Rich people have these banks, as we used to call them. The banks were like big stores that were also the homes of the rich families. The store even had their own currency. People would come to sell rubber there, or cocoa, or lumber, or whatever product they had harvested in the forest. And then they will sell it at the banks, and they will get paid in that bank's private currency and they could only spend that money in that same store. I asked Francisco about the role that traditional music and traditional culture played in protests and strikes back in the 1970s and 1980s. No, no, no. Eso era para los pobres, para los negros campesinos. Para los pobres, para los negros y los campesinos. Traditional music was for the poor, well, black people. Black people was from the countryside. No white people like marimba music or bambuco or curulao, none of that. Back in the 19th century, this priest called Father Mira had arrived to Tumaco and said that the marimba belonged to the devil. Ha! Father Mira would say, you have to throw the marimba in the river and he wouldn't even confess someone unless they have thrown the marimba in the water. He began to wipe out the marimba in all the countryside around Tumaco. Well, 
Queremos pronto pueda volver. Pram, para, pam, 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 pam. Y seguimos bailando y tanta que y los bombos, pram, 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 y íbamos tocando. But we would use the traditional music for our protests. We'd sing the electricity's out, the water too, the electricity's out, it's water too. We want them to come back soon. And we would go out dancing and singing and the bombos would go ta 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 We would play and get the whole protest excited, the whole march. The musicians would be in, in front. Everybody would sing. The electricity's out, the water too. We want them to come back soon. Water and electricity, water and electricity. I I will lose, I will lose, either we win or we succeed. Aguailu, 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 Aguailu. El problema lo ganamos o nos independizamos. El problema lo ganamos o nos independizamos. Refinería queremos ya o la tubería salía a volar. Refinería queremos ya o la tubería salía a volar. And we will kick off and everyone will march down the street demanding water from the plant. So we identify with the problem and everybody will sing the songs and clap their hands and the whole town will be thinking about it. After so much protesting, we decided that the only option we had left was to become independent. And we didn't have any alternative. We decided to have an independence ceremony. We would lower the Colombian flag in front of the city hall and then burn it and become part of Ecuador. We called everyone in the city to come. We got there and started the ceremony and then they started to lower the flag. That's when it all started. All of a sudden, a stone whizzed by. I don't know who threw it. And wham! Here comes the stone flying over to where the soldiers were. And then we heard a shot. And soon as it happened, the whole place filled up with stones flying through the air. That day, everybody was making these bombs like Molotov cocktails. They would put gasoline in a beer bottle and put a dynamite fuse and some stones inside. People made a bunch of this. When the army started to shoot, what we did was throw out these little bombs. Well, one of these landed on top of the city hall and it caught fire. It landed, it exploded, and the soldiers reacted, and it became a horrible, horrible, horrible thing. We couldn't fight anymore because the army sent tanks. We pulled all the railroad tracks, but it was too late. The next day was really horrible. There were many people wounded, and a lot of people died. There were people who had to run away to Ecuador because the government was going to arrest everybody that had anything to do with the protests. So many, many people who had to leave. In my case, I had no problem. I came out clean because nobody gave up my name, you know? So that's what happened. But also, because of that protest, we got the government to pave the highway that connects to Maco to the rest of the country. We got them to connect us to the electrical grid. But it's been difficult to get running water uh, until today. And the sewer system they put in would keep breaking down. So yes, we were able to make some real concrete gains. But that's as far as we were able to go.
Tumaco lo quemaron. Tumaco is burning. This song by Grupo Naidi retells the story of the burning of Tumaco back during the Tumacaso, even though this group is from another town, from Guapi. But the news of the Tumacaso spread throughout the Pacific. Later on, traditional music started to be a real cultural force in Tumaco. It would make people feel emotional. There were already so many people involved. It was no longer just my group or my friends. It was the whole town. We made the Kurulao Festival. The goal was to unite the entire Pacific, from Buenaventura, from Choco, from Guapi, from Mosquera, and they all will come to Tumaco. And here we could all have a big conversation on how we see our Pacific Coast region, what we want for it. And we see that all these people also have the same issue of discrimination against them as black people. We start to see how mistreated we are because all are living with no water, no electricity, nothing. Huh? We started to think how to liberate our people. The Kururau Festival plays a very important role in that. The Kururau Festival allowed us to see each other and to be seen by each other. Throughout the Pacific coast of Colombia, from the Chocó in the north, through Buenaventura, through Cauca, and all the way down to the southern part and Tumaco, were all engaged in different struggles over culture, over land, and over political self-determination. They ended up influencing the way in which the Constitution was written. In 1991, they managed to have an article written into the Constitution that recognized Afro-Colombians as an official ethnic group along with indigenous people. The Law 70 of 1993 recognized black communities, their land rights, and their ability to govern themselves. Law 70 recognized collective territory for black communities in a way that at the time was unique for the hemisphere. Since the political importance of Afro-Colombian culture and its relationship with ancestral legacy were so important for Francisco, I asked him what it meant in terms of his own family. What did he do to pass on the family legacy? What I have done is what my ancestors did, to tell my children and try to make them understand this world. It's a diverse world. It's an intercultural world. We can't deny that. So I can't impose my culture, and I can't fully take on another culture. I have to learn to live with the other culture, as long as my culture can exist too. So how do I make my culture dialogue with other cultures? That's where I have to look for strategies so that my culture dialogues with other cultures, so that interculturality can take place. The way not to be erased is what Harold does, fusion. Fusion is about merging without losing your identity. But to do that, we need to know our ancestor, our own ancestral culture very well. Once we learn the ancestral culture, we can carry out a fusion project. You can do that without knowing the ancestry. I am the son of many teachers in the past. Francisco's son, Harold, is also a musician. 
but he was from a very different generation. He went to Bogota to study anthropology for college and then would go on to do a master's degree in musicology in Paris. Otto grew up around traditional culture, but he also grew up around all of the influences that were coming into Tumaco. Hip-hop, reggae, salsa, Cuban timba. Harold was acutely aware of the different types of black music that were circulating through the world. In Paris, he was exposed not only to Afro-Latin American music, but also to music from the African continent. He even went to Burkina Faso with one of his teachers to study traditional music there. Pues cuando ya me fui a, a, sobre todo en París, yo decía, bueno, yo estoy estudiando musicología. Things really expanded when I went to Paris and I was studying musicology. When I left, I took a bombo, a conuno, and marimba from here in Tumaco. Then all of these musical influences started to work in my head. I had a group with a Brazilian friend. We would go out and play around with a Mexican friend and a friend from the Ivory Coast and a Frenchman. The four of us went around playing music in bars, combining Pacific elements with African elements. We were traveling all over the place. I went to Burkina Faso and I bought my djembe, my balafon and my engoni. I took some Balafon courses there. So when I came back to Tumaco, I brought everything. The challenges that Tumaco is facing now are different from the challenges that Francisco faced back in the 1980s. I asked Harold how he thought that traditional music and traditional culture could help people face these challenges. What I try to do in my music is to show Tumaco to look for a way to transform our reality, to talk about social problems. When I returned, I found lots of conflicts and fightings in Tumaco. I believe that through music you can say many things to people. All this was achieved in my group, Plu Compla. Harold runs a group called Plu Compla a kind of fusion group that combines all of these different elements and all of these different experiences that he had all together in one mix. Plucompla reflects this cosmopolitan Tumaco. Even though Plucompla is filled with new ideas, Harold understands it as absolutely related to the family legacy and to Tumaco traditions. Sí, definitivamente. Eso, o sea, ahí está, es que estamos familia, estamos casi todos allí. Yes, definitely. Even my parents get excited. They are motivated by everything that happens to us. They support us. They finance us. They get more excited than we do. When we go anywhere, people already know where we come from. The family legacy proceeds us to say Tenorio already means something here in Tumaco. We believe that with Lucom Plus project, even if it's fusion music, gathers much of what we have been doing here in our family, in the community.
I had one last question for Harold. I wanted to know, what are the differences between now and his father's generation, not only in terms of the realities that are on the ground in Tumaco, but also about the ways in which they use music to transform those realities? My dad had different threats than the ones I face now. They had that challenge of what light. They had a better social fabric to be able to meet that need. Now we have armed conflict in our city. We have young people with guns being bosses in the neighborhoods. It is up to us to participate in a more globalized world. To put our music there to try to conquer hearts. That's the hard part. I believe that in my father's time they were able to transform more realities than in this era. More was achieved. A country like Colombia in the situation it is in, it has to draw on the music of the plains, the music of the Pacific, the music of the Atlantic and the peasant music in order to be able to find itself. Because when you are in a war for so long, you lose your sense of community. We are talking about very important pedagogical processes to take care of each other. What has been lost here is a feeling of belonging. The national identity gets blurred across the regions and smaller ethnic communities. We are trying to build identity. We'd like to thank Francisco and Harold Tenorio for sharing their stories with us, and Michael Birnbaum Quintero for sharing his work on Afro-Colombian music of the Pacific Coast. Francisco's English reader was the Boston-based musician Jorge Arce, and Harold's reader was Rhode Island-based trumpeter Christian Cano Taborda. This Afropop close-up was made possible by a grant from the National Endowment for the Arts. But to keep the series going, we need your support please visit afropop.org and make a donation. Every dollar counts. For Afropop Worldwide, I'm Nathaniel Braddock. <laughs>